But let's go to Doomaker Hotline here and uh, talk to Commander John Sharp, who uh, knows a lot more about this subject because he published the book, The Restoration of Christian Culture. And since you may have to hop off, Commander, uh, uh, we may not get a complete uh, economics for Helen uh, lesson today. Uh, maybe we can just talk about Professor Senior and the, 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 the subject of the restoration of Christian culture and what I'm talking about. So if you do have to leave, I could just pick up where we leave off and we could try next week for episode eight. How are you? Oh yeah, Mike. That that that's great. Um, very well, thank you. I appreciate your dealing with my uh, craziness, like always. Uh, did you get the word that um, you know this is kind of an honor for me to be able to tell you this? But but Dad uh, did pass on to his eternal rest, um, and you know all the prayers that were triggered uh, potentially by you know you and listeners, you know, et cetera, were were extremely. Um, Beneficial, I, ha I have to believe, because, you know, we, we you and I spoke uh, last week this time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure I was late last week, like I was <laughs> this week. I just got off the phone and someone else is going to call me. And I got other irons in the fire that I can tell you about later that are that are uh, interesting. But, um, uh, you know, we mentioned that dad was really, you know, look, looked like he was hanging on to the bitter end. And that was 11 Eastern time, I guess, when I left you. Uh, and he had departed uh, 7.40 p.m. Uh, on Thursday, on the 20th. Oh. And uh, it was, so literally within, you know, what, eight hours or whatever of, of, of my speaking with you. And, it, you know, we're certainly going to miss him, and it's sad, uh, you know, to lose a chunk out of your life in this, you know, a companion in the veil of tears, so to speak. But uh, it was very old, very fulfilling life, no complaints at all. And, Mike, it was just magnificent. Uh, better than we could have asked for. Uh, my mom had the sense that, you know, things were winding down. So the whole family, except for my oldest, who's married and doesn't live here, all the rest of the kids are here. My wife was here. Mom was here. Mother-in-law was here. You know, everybody around the bed, uh, you know, multiple rosaries, all the prayers for the dead or prayers for departing soul, I should say, from the breviary were recited. Uh, all the prayers out of the Recolta for a happy death. Um, you know, then we weren't kind of sure what was going to happen. So the kids had to go upstairs to eat. Shows you the, you know, the youthful outlook, you know, like, oh, my grandfather's dying, but I need a sandwich. So <laughs> all the kids, you know, all the kids took off. Um, it was just mom and me. You know, I'm a spoiled brat. I'm told only child because uh, mom had a, had some, you know, physical complications where it was just me and my brother and the brother lasted about 10 minutes, uh, you know, before I was born. So, so, uh, I was the only one that could, could be, uh, carried the term after that. So it was just the two of us. And, um, I, uh, I think I read one set of prayers again, maybe more of the prayers out of the breviary, which I had never focused on. Honestly, I just never had the, uh, the timing was never such that, you know, you kind of get the sense that a soul is departing and you can grab your, handy, you know, departing soul manual and start reading through it. That doesn't usually work that way. Um, so they're, they're just extraordinarily beautiful. Um, and, and it's very powerful, you know, kind of rebuking of Satan, like do not get in the way, you know, you step aside, mister, do not get in the way of this soul going from here to, to his, to his maker. Uh, you know, don't interfere, don't get involved. You know, you had your chance. It's over. And, uh, just, just really powerful. Um, and then someone had texted my wife saying, oh, don't forget the prayers out of the blue book. 
And I'm thinking to myself, excuse my Navy talk, but like, what the hell is a blue book? Like, what, what is blue, <laughs> what blue book? I mean, I got all kinds of blue books. None of them are relevant to this. Uh, and then all of a sudden, my oldest uh, son, that's almost soon to be 14, another, another John in the three chain of Johns, um, hands me this pamphlet. Well, there's no cover. I covered falling off years ago, so that's why it's not blue anymore. And uh, flipping through there, you know, kind of in a hurry. So I'm like, I'm never going to find what I'm supposed to find in here. Finally, I get to the page where it says at the top, three extraordinary, beautiful prayers. That's the heading. I'm like, okay, well, that's nice. Fine print, you know, like an IRS form, you know, on the occasion of a dying soul. But uh, that's relevant. So literally, Mike, I read these three prayers. There's a little introduction, like a historical, you know, where do they come from? You know, can tell you that story some other time or, or, or now or whatever. But uh, I get to the first one and, you know, kind of the labored breathing, you know, of a, of a dying person kind of stops. The mouth closes. Dad takes a nice inhale, you know, through the nose, just very calm kind of pauses like there's no breathing for what seems like a long time, but I'm sure it was just a few seconds, but right. mom nudges me. It's like, Hey, you know, like what's happening? Like, well, didn't I didn't, you know, even, even in grief, my sarcasm is sometimes rears its head. And I didn't say to her like, well, he's dying. What the hell do you think's happening? But I, so I just leave it alone. And uh, I get to the second prayer, the third prayer, one more inhale and, and the complete calm, complete calm on his face. Um, one more, you know, inhalation, exhale, that's it. Soul, soul is gone. And little, maybe a little spark of a tear, you know, of, of joy, relief, you know, fear, whatever whatever those emotions are that I have yet to experience personally. Um, but but it was, Mike, it was like, a, I, I don't know if you can do like a, a cookbook, uh, you know, <laughs> departure, but I can't see how it'd be much better than that. And, and I... Thank you and, and everyone who, who, you know, heard last week in the morning, dad was at, at, on his last legs because I got emails from people, you know, that I know or texts from I know people who listen, tune into your show, you know, saying, hey, dad's in our prayers, you know, same day. Wow. And uh, it, it's, I, I cannot cannot thank you and them and, you know, everyone involved and certainly our Lord and, you know, angels and saints, the whole the whole company of heaven for what was just, uh, you know, and at, at the end is. In this veil of tears, you kind of, for me, it's frightening thought, and you know, I don't, I don't look forward to my judgment in one respect, but in another respect, it's kind of where we're all headed. And all of Catholic social teaching, you know, to come back to your, the point of the program, all, every single iota uh, exists to serve that moment, you know, in the life of every person. So it's pretty, it's pretty extraordinary. So I just, I thank you for listening to that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, narrative, but but uh, and and again, thanks for the prayers and all. That was really tremendous. Well, you know, John is as, uh, as uh, our Philosophia Perennis teacher and mentor, Brother Francis would uh, would remind us in the ethics course and uh, the in the eight part series. I think it's uh, part four on ethics. Brother Francis would remind you the world would be a different place. If every man knew that every soul he came into contact with would last for eternity, you yeah. would not yeah. say things to a soul if you knew that you would have you had the potential to spend all of eternity with that soul. Um, yeah. So when someone asks me for prayers and I think of eternity, I'm going to go, okay, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. let's do it. Absolutely, yeah. let's do it. 
So, uh, our, uh, our, our, our Christian duty, and that's why uh, we have the benefit of owning a radio station, because I don't have to answer to anyone that would go like, hey, no praying on the air. Uh, <laughs> right? So, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, well, we can we, we, we can just dispense with uh, uh, formalities since uh, you, you you have uh, your mind on other things, and uh-huh. we'll we'll come to economics for Helen uh, by Belloc next week, and hopefully get yeah, back on, on schedule. It'll be time well spent. It'll be time well spent, Mike, because the other thing is that rent that rent uh, subject uh, because it, it's like a buzzword, you know, like interest. Um, it, it, it'll be worth the full 40 minutes and I will make absolutely sure when we come to that, you know, to, to show up here in a timely way. Cause right. I, even though it's only, what is this like four pages or three and a half pages in the book, but it's, um, it's one of those things just like interest, you know, where someone's like, Oh, interest, you know, users, et cetera. It's like, yes, but that's, that's not what he means. And it's, it's just worth, uh, it's worth being very clear. So it, it, I think it will be, be very worthwhile. The, the, the rest will, the rest, honestly, will flow a bit more, um, uh, you know, at a, at, a, at, a, at a clip because so much of the concepts we've already talked about and we've, we've, we've really laid a very important foundation for a lot of it. So, um, and, 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 and I'm even, I'm skimming through my, my part two now where he says, he, the, the second segment, I'm not sure if we ever even made this clear, but the book is divided into two sections. There's a, there's a part one uh, which he calls the elements, and we've talked about you know this like a good maybe like a good mid 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 show you know kind of recap the elements wealth you know what is it he talks about the three things that you need to produce it land labor capital um, you know what the production process is generally and then the three parts into which the wealth that is produced is divided subsistence interest and rent and we did the interest. Um, and then, of course, rent is next. And then we've no, we didn't do the interest. We 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 only did we o- we only did subsistence. We okay. uh, so I gave you the wrong part. The next part okay. is interest. Okay. All right. Well, if that's look, if that's true, that's that's time well spent also because both of both of those things are these, you know, red flag in front of a bull type of thing. You know, you go to any <laughs> regular trad and you say rent and interest, and it's like you know the first thing with rent you think of Dickens novels and the evil. You know, landlord or rent collectors kicking down the door and throwing people into prison. And then with interest, you know, you think of our uh, banking uh, associates with their compound interest or, or the or the mortgage where the house is 200 grand and you borrow that from from a, from a computer. And then you end up paying, you know, six hundred thousand dollars back uh, over the life of the loan. And you wonder, like, well, gee, where where does all that money go and who whose, whose bills is that paying exactly? Uh so, yeah, and then exchange, exchange. we talked a lot. I mean, that's the old example of, you know, your beer and my bags of rice, and then we get sent right. in with bags of wheat and see if we can see if, I mean, at the end of the day, if exchange doesn't work, the two of us will just tackle you and steal the beer because that's all we want out of that. <laughs> but, um, but I'm sure you wouldn't, it wouldn't go willingly, you know, be like the Charlton Heston, you know, the, you, you'll be taking this beer out of these cold, dead hands that, uh, and then, and then free trade is an interesting one. And then money, and of course, you know, all, all, all your people know money uh, well. You know, from David. No, uh, they they do, John, but they do not know money in the Belakian uh, distributive sense. Yeah, and that yeah, chapter that, that was just eye opening for me. Reading yeah. those money chapter, I'm like, wow, what an explanation of money. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good, and and I and I think. Um, I can't put my finger on it immediately, but, but even, even kind of, you know, what we would say more mainstream sources, 
you know, either real economists or, you know, financial people, whatever, have, have said that this is a pretty good, a pretty darn good um, uh, outline. I mean, you know, the concept's straightforward and there's only so many ways to, to, to go through it. And he, he, he does a great thing. But I wanted to just mention, you know, by way of either a, a retrospective or prospective, you know, as to where we're headed, the other section of the book um, is called Political Application. Yes. You know, and, and this is this is really, you know, essential because we've talked so many times, and I don't think it bears uh, repeating too often, that, you know, there's this tension, economic law, sort of natural law, moral law, and, and again, a lot of it's keeping up with the semantics because... You'll have uh, Jacques Maritain, you know, with his uh, scholastic hat on, you know, say, hey, natural law is the Ten Commandments written on the hearts of man. Uh, a scientist would say natural law is, you know, drop apple, tends to fall to earth, et cetera. Um, and, then, and then the economists will, you know, the, the, the bad ones or the wrong ones, I'll say, will try to use the natural law of economics as if, well, I can, I can, I can intentionally drive you out of business and squeeze you into the dust because that's the same as the apple being drawn to earth. It's just natural. It's just what happens. And then right. the moral component is missing. And at the same time, Belloc raises his hand and says, yes, but don't, don't sledgehammer the concept of economic law the way you're tempted to sledgehammer interest and rent by saying these things are just evil. Understand what is meant by the term. In one context, you know, it means a thing that is reprehensible. In another context, it's just reality. Then we're back again to the beer and the bags of rice. <laughs> Namely, um, you know, there would be no... There would be no incentive for you to get rid of the beer in exchange unless you, I hate to say, but, you know, we all have to admit occasionally you need something to go with that. You know, you want your bread or you need lodging or whatever. And there, there's no, the economic law is like, what's going to encourage you to move that beer out unless you know you can get something else that you need for it. And then that, and then the whole system really arises from that. And, and it is. It is a law, you know, it's, it's, it's a morally neutral thing, except then as we talk, you get men into the picture, and every time a man makes a decision, he's accountable to God for what decision he's made, so then there's no, um, you know, the neutrality of the concept gives way to the morality of, of the individual act, which is really pretty neat system, but it, but it takes some discipline, you know, to, to, to sort that out. So then you get this last segment, this section two, political considerations, you know, I think Belloc's terminology is, is superlative. You talk political, you think Aristotle's politics, where it's the science of men, you know, living together in community. Or ultimately, Father Fahey, and I'm sure Brother Francis would have said this, it's like the science of the common good. You know, what is the common good of the state? And, and how is that preserved? And how does each member, uh, you know, benefit from the common good and, and, and use and, and almost consume uh, the common good without depleting it? Um, and it's a real, really interesting concept. But then all those moral things that we distributors like to pound on, you know, what kind of competition is fair? What kind of competition is unfair? What, what, what's the, the role of, of interest? Is it classical interest in the way Belloc, uh, you know, will explain, I guess, if we're going to get into that next week? Or is it compound interest, which is, which is uh, you know, devastating? Uh, and all those different, uh, you know, more judgmental, and I don't mean judgmental in terms of rash judgment or what we're told today, you know, you can't, you can't question homosexuality because that's judgmental. Uh, you know, not that kind of thing. We're talking about where a moral judgment comes to bear on a political setup. And that's the that's the real bread and butter of the whole Catholic social position is, yes, there there are there are good and bad ways of organizing society insofar yeah. as they help men to be good or to be bad. 
You know, it's an interesting thing that John Sharp, the commander John Sharp, is the founder of IHS Press, and you can get all these books that we're talking about at shop.mikechurch.com. As a matter of fact, we just got, uh, Doug just sent us 20 copies of Seniors, uh, Restoration of Christian Culture. Uh, we've already sold half of them because I talk about it almost Good. every single day. But you might find this very interesting on the subject of competition and fair or fair competition or unfair competition. Um, if you have the tools of modern machinery, uh, it seems to me that modern machinery would uh, would exacerbate the tendency of, of one man to, uh, to do things that may drive another man in, in unfair competition out of business. And I've been talking about on the subject here when uh, Midas Chur and I get out of this house, sell it, and then move to Walsingham West, our farm, and then build the new house, that I'd like to learn how to do some some of it uh, using timber framing. So yeah. I mentioned the other day, and someone sent me uh, some timber framing uh, folks, and I find this, and this is just the most amazing, beautiful thing. <laughs> it's called the Northmen Guild of Northern Master Craftsmen. These are Norwegians. Wow. wow. And they don't use electric or, or gasoline-powered tools. If you go to their school, you sign up to go to a one-month course in how to craft, uh, how to do timber framing. Half the class goes into the wood uh, gathering and hewing of the beams, and the other half of the class goes into what to do with the beams and how to do the joints and what have you. And yeah. then you, uh, you, you, you kind of swap places, so you get this course. But I'm reading what these guys do, and 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 they're like they're out in the middle of nowhere in the beautiful uh, Norwegian hinterlands. Uh, when you go to the class, you only eat what's grown locally nothing is trucked in you're not allowed to bring any of your own food unless you have a you know a dietary requirement um, uh, you eat local you sleep local you stay local in cabins that they built and you learn this craft of timber framing but they maintain several guilds they have an ironworking guild they have a woodworking guild they have a framers guild and I'm reading this going like my goodness I mean these are Norwegians we don't think of them as you know being the defenders of Christendom these days, or, or, or practicing the old ways of Christendom, but if you read the, the, the syllabus for the class and then what they ask you to do, uh, and, may, and there, there's no mention that there's any, um, there's any priest on site, there's any sort of prayer or anything, although they do take you on a tour of the most beautiful 15, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 12th and 13th century churches that were built in Norway, and they're all timber frame and made out of wood, and they're still there. As a matter of fact, one of the churches, John, is the oldest standing wood structure in all of Norway, and it's a Catholic church. Um, but I'm just blown away by just the simple beauty of this, uh, of how they've preserved this and how they are encouraging people. And this is a very popular site. You know, I guess uh, there's probably a bunch of, of live-action role players that, that want to do this. But I'd like to also think that there are some, some men that are sincere about this and go like, that's really cool. I want to learn how to do that. I'm willing to go to Mike, our Mike, the phone the phone seized up on me for a second. I I I'm, I know you're able to just carry on without inhaling for a long time. So I just <laughs> didn't want to be rude and fail to respond if there was something put to me that I that I just blew off. So I beg your pardon. No, no it wasn't. I was just talking about these Norwegians and their guild. Yeah. And they yeah. call it well, a guild. You know, you know the other Mike, the other Mike, uh, our land movement Mike up up in uh, Mike Judice. Yes. Yeah, he um he he. When I visited his place, it was it was 
a great opportunity. I'm grateful for that. I visited him after the conference back in, I guess, end of June. It was just really a month ago. Seems like a long time. Uh, And he took me out to some, you know, kind of cabin thingy. I don't know if he's going to have it as an office or maybe shop or whatever, because he does the cider. He's got a great local cider thing and he does apple trees and all that. But he maintains, I wouldn't dare, you know, question this, but to me it's it's so impressive. It's it's hard not to be skeptical, kind of like what you've seen with this Norwegian uh, technique. But he built a thing with no, I mean, all all it is is wood put together with dowels and and, uh, uh, joints and things, you know, all, so he's another one that you should, you know, cultivate in terms of uh, knowledge because he he built a thing, it's a little kind of two-story-ish cabin, you know, with a loft and all that. And I've seen really, it. It, it. Okay, good, good. Well, if you've been there and you've seen No, it, I haven't been there. He, he sent me pictures. Okay, okay, good, good, good. Then you, then you know all about it. But, I mean, I, I you know, I can I can vouch with my own hands for the, the, the <laughs> idea that, that, that that's a real, a real thing, you know, and it's really, really impressive. So, so, um, so we won't get on the uh, the entire subject of uh, uh, of interest today. We'll, we'll we'll save that for next week. Um, uh, when you put this book by John Senior back into print, by the way, if you ever do another edition, uh, I want to write a blurb for it. <laughs> of, well, well, we'll take it. We'll take it. Um, I, I, I'm carrying this book around, John, like as a Bible, like literally. I'm going like I'm so engrossed in John Senior, and just the the, the the just the direction and the beauty of this book. Um, and since we had the chance to just kind of ad lib today, uh, he wrote something in the chapter on a final solution to liberal education, um, and it hit me right between the eyes because he's talking about these kids that have never had any physical activity. They don't know gymnastics. They don't know walking. They don't know running. They don't know gaming. They don't know anything. And he says, you can't be a St. Thomas Aquinas unless you know how to walk. And then he talks about how St. Thomas crossed the Swiss Alps four times on foot. And he goes, this is not coincidental. He goes, they all walked. All the saints walked. Then he get on trains. They walked. And then he wrote this. And then we'll just discuss this, and then we'll wrap this version up. And let me stress again the role of the churches in the loss of reality. Because if you look at the cultural life of the United States since its inception, the greatest normative control on language, music, art, morals, manners, on tone of voice and gesture, has been the ceremonious reading of the King James Bible, the Book of Common Prayer, and Wesley's hymns, and or the splendid Catholic Latin liturgy. In place of that, denominations, according to their several myths, now distribute their respective communions in an atmosphere directly modeled on the way McDonald's distributes hamburgers with the same music, costumes, charismatic smiles, and for all we can tell of their intentions, sometimes the same content to the apparent food and drink. So we McDonaldized <laughs> the practice yeah. of Christian culture. He's saying, hundred percent, hundred percent, and and uh, and it's interesting. You know, there's too 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 big of a subject to discuss at all in the allotted time. But we we have talked before um, about the the historical irony of as English speakers, especially being in a situation where a lot of the great literature, the music of the language and all that, uh, you know, is, is, is 
is, was, whatever the right perspective is, captured in Anglicanism, you know, as it, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it's a foul thing because, you know, it was, it was directed, as Cobbett says, on just racks and butchery and terrorism and torture, you know, just literally to physically coerce the Catholic faith out of the English people. There's no question right. about that historically. No, there isn't. Um, but, but there's enough cultural, uh, you know, underlying kind of meat there that's, that's left over. It's not, I'm, I'm, you know, mixing metaphors in a, in a very ineffective way, but there's, <laughs> there's this, this ethos, if you will, that hangs on. And you know, come to Milton, you know, who was, who was not, uh, not a pro-Catholic, you know, by any way, shape, or form. Um, kind of a grumpy, nasty, blind man, you know, but, but, but a genius with the English language. And that's, that's kind of what we have as English speakers. And, and I think maybe it's the same, it's a parallel uh, to the, to, to our predicament as American Catholics, you know, I mean, we're, we're Catholics first, like we have to be Americans second in terms of our, you know, what, what does the passport and the birth certificate say? That's right. Um, but, but, but America itself is not a Catholic nation in terms of its origins or history or whatever. It's, it's un, un, unhinged and unyoked, if you will, to any real political structure. But there's so much that came from, you know, the English-speaking parts. And then others, you know, of course, with the immigration, Germans, Italian, Polish, etc., massive injections of Catholicism. And it's a weird, you know, it's a weird phenomenon. You can do a whole a whole program, you know, another year series just on those elements. But I, I think it's really neat how Senior uh, says, hey, you know, it's like we talked about with Bach, Mike, you know, Bach was not a Catholic. You know, I believe he's a religious man. That's the consensus. But, um, you know, the, the technical term would be heretic. I, I hate to say that. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, you're going to throw out his, his uh, you know, the well-tempered clavier, the great famous uh, preludes and fugues because, oh, it guy's a heretic. I mean, and it defies all the principles of art. You know, art is something that's well made. You don't have to be. You don't have to accept revelation to be a good artist. And that that that's right down the line from St. Thomas, and uh, you know, consistent with Aristotle and all that. But it's very very interesting stuff. How senior, you know, tackles that and doesn't doesn't apologize for it. He just kind of lays it on the line. You know how it is. And it's an amazing principle, ladies and gentlemen, that you could take away and you could meditate and think about this for the next month and you still wouldn't exhaust the subject. When he says in Latin, nihil in intellectu nisi prius in sensu, uh, I kind of roughly translate that and I stink at Latin, but I believe he's saying if, there's, if you start with nothing in the intellect, then you will finish with nothing. If you start with nothing in the senses, then you will finish with nothing in the intellect. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Effectively. Right. 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 It's beautiful. I mean, so, in other words, if your senses aren't trained, <laughs> if you don't use them, if you don't like, 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 smell, sense. He means means them literally. You and you don't exercise them, and he he means like, and he literally means exercise. Then you yeah. can't exercise your intellect. Yes. You need yeah. the and, senses. And, and like even. Yep, and even beyond that, I mean, the whole the whole human psychology is how does the soul come to intellect, come to know anything? Um, if if the and, and there's another beautiful book that someday I hope to publish you know, on this subject about all the metaphors from the gospel that our Lord uses, the parables, etc. So many of them involve very tangible, you know, the fig trees, the sheep, uh, the 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 mother hen, you know, who gathers. Or checks the way our Lord says, "This is what I would have done to you, all you inhabitants of Jerusalem." Mm. All these very, very uh, poignant. You know, they're emotionally moving, but they're they're tangible. 
But if you've never seen it, and this is not my idea, this is from this book uh, that we can talk later about some other time. Uh, so if you've never seen a hen actually do that after her little chicks have hatched and they're all scrambling around out, you know, looking for bugs and things, and then you walk <laughs> over to her, she doesn't know you're not going to try to eat them, so she puffs out her feathers and gets quite belligerent, uh, like, what are you trying to do to my babies? And our Lord says, this is what I would have done, O ye, you know, inhabitants of Jerusalem, had you not, you know, abandoned me. I mean, that's that's fine tingling, but it doesn't make any sense if you haven't seen that. It's it's it's, it's impenetrable, and uh, there's so many so many elements. I think you're you're you know my hats off to you for raising that point uh, from senior because it's uh, um, you know it, it it really points out if you're if you're stuck in a factory or stuck in a cubicle behind a computer screen all day long, or God forbid these days plugged into virtual reality oh. on the phone, on the video games, on the screen. All day, all the time, there, there's, I think, it's a great argument to be made that the intellect and the, the will, the, these fundamental components of the soul, they just, they just, they're going to shut down. And, and it explains why everyone's a nut thinking that, you know, oh, I identify as a cat this week. And, uh, you know, I think I can steal whatever I want and get whatever I want. I'm entitled to whatever I want. I can go get a job. And when the employer says, well, you have to show up on time and, you know, do some work. And you're like, what? I didn't realize this was part of the deal. I never heard of that. You know, who came up with this system? <laughs> it's, it's the whole the whole thing is, uh, is on the verge of going nuts because of the d- divorce from, you know, ultimate reality, which I which I guess is what you're driving at. If, if I haven't misunderstood your original point. Well, well yeah. Uh, well, obviously, and we've been talking all week long here. <clears throat> uh, truth. What is truth is conformity, the mind to reality, uh, that reality is something that we have tried to divorce or they are trying to divorce because they know then if they can divorce, uh, divorce us from reality. They can try and divorce us from the author of reality, which is who is God. Uh, John, yeah. that's all the time we have for the for, for this little okay. visit. Um, hey, we're, we're going to pick up next week, though, on time, on schedule. We're going to talk about interest and Hilary Belloc uh, in episode eight of Economics as if Families Matter. We'll call this one uh, Reality as if Families Mattered <laughs> yeah. on this episode. Yeah, yeah very good. And, and this was, um, I mean, I'm eager to get into the interest thing, but I think an occasional breather and a bit of an ad lib is, is quite uh, fruitful. I certainly enjoyed it. No, uh, and, and, I think, and I thank you again, uh, Mike, for the prayers and, and getting that out to listeners and all that just I, I i'll never be able to thank you enough for all that well uh, I, uh, again but donata as the spanish say uh but you're quite welcome and we uh want to continue praying for the repose of the soul as we should and uh, we're sorry for your loss obviously but you know and then just a final note from senior the first page of that book is all about. He says nothing. You're not going to get any restoration of Christian culture. You're not going to move that needle one millionth of a centimeter unless it's through the BVM. Without Mary, nothing is going to happen. And then he does the next page on what's the last part of the Hail Mary prayer that no one ever thinks about. Yeah. Now and at the hour of our death, Amen. Well. That's not in there by accident. It's there for a reason. Not that right. So not that right. consider, uh, consider keep that in mind. Hey, God bless you and your family. Our condolences again to you and all of your family. And uh, we shall talk very soon. And, uh, okay. Next week, if not sooner. Okay, sounds great. Okay, God, God bless. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right.